Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. On June 30th, 2016 in Denver, two attorneys sat down to discuss technology in healthcare. Ian O'Neill is a shareholder in the firm's intellectual property department focusing on technology transactions, licensing, advanced media, and privacy issues. Emily Weber is a shareholder in the firm's healthcare group focusing on academic medicine and clinical research, data security compliance, and governance for personalized medical programs. They discuss the top technology issues facing the changing healthcare ecosystem. Visit bhfs.com for more information. Hi, my name is Ian O'Neill. I am a shareholder at Brownstein Hyatt Faber Schreck. I am the head of our technology transaction advanced media and privacy group my practice has a very heavy focus on the digital health space where i have spent the best part of the last 20 years working in and out and around various medical schools hospitals and digital health and health tech clients and startups through both professional and personal levels and i am emily weber i'm also a shareholder at brownstein hyatt farber shrek I came here about six months ago from pretty much exclusively working in academic medical centers. And my focus is really in the teaching hospital, academic medical center, school of medicine realm, as well as in tech transfer offices or technology transaction offices, as they're now called. And I work a lot within with our digital health, mobile health group and startup. I have a focus on clinical research and in privacy as well as anything related to the academic medical center world. So I think what we were hoping to do here, Emily, is maybe lay the groundwork to get into some more in-depth discussions over the coming months and in-depth focus on various areas of digital health or health tech as the new term is coming to be companies and startups face as they move into this unique area, especially here in Denver, where we are fortunate enough to be ground zero in what seems to be a literal explosion in this area. And we are fast becoming the Silicon Valley of this space. And so as that happens, it may be valuable for some of our clients to actually dig into some of the more esoteric and weird and wonderful issues that these health tech startups and even health tech established companies face that are different from any other type of technology company. Right, especially in the traditional uh, biotech pharma space and the more traditional medical device space. I think that the challenges for digital health is really unique. Absolutely. And I think the challenges are countermanded by the opportunities as this space actually kind of grows and flourishes and we see an entire healthy ecosystem start to coalesce around all of the different players and different members who are joining and taking a seat at the table. And that's why it's such a tremendous area. Absolutely. And I think what we're going to do is have a series of these podcasts. And today we'll just go through sort of the general topics that we will dive into in much greater detail in the coming weeks and months. So let's start at the top. So corporate form, and you are the king of that. So yes, absolutely. I mean, this is one of those areas, right, where we see more and more questions come up when a new health tech entrepreneur walks in and says, hey, I have a great idea for a game-changing technology that is going to save a lot of money for health insurance companies, or it's going to save a lot of lives, or it's going to really help with treatment in this area. 
um, how do I get started? Yeah, and who do they even walk into? Right. How do they even get started? And, and what, what do they start is the big question. You know, it used to be we would have clients walk in and say, hey, I have a fantastic new technology. I want to be the next Facebook. I'm going to make lots of money. I want to be a billionaire within two years and move to Palo Alto and, you know, drive my Lamborghini. Um, this is not that type of space. I mean, this type of space, at the end of the day, we have people on a mission. Now, is that mission to make money for some people? But there's also, we have doctors, we have zealots, we have complete ambassadors out there, and we have people who really believe in this space. And they're coming in saying, hey, I have a health tech product that I've spent years developing, or I spent years in my practice, and that's led me to develop this way of doing something better. How do I get that out there? How do I create a company so that this better way of doing something can be out and used by everybody around the world and treat people better? Or how do I fix this problem? There's a huge problem. We are losing or hemorrhaging money as an industry on sick care. Uh, we are massively kind of wasting the opportunity to target our medicine because we don't have the data in the right form or we don't have the ability to use that data or we don't have any way for these doctors that invent fantastic new ways of doing something to actually share that with their peers and at the same time we have this convergence of technology that's making it more and more accessible for anybody to get access to it so now the founders are coming in with a mission and it's not the same equation anymore of, well, be a C-Corp so a VC could invest in you so that you can exit and make lots of money it's not the same analysis anymore. And I think also a, a lot of this is changing because physicians, clinicians, people who work in the healthcare realm, even people in finance and quality, really anyone who works in healthcare understands that the change in payment is going from a fee-for-service to a value-based model. So they have an incentive to really change the way that medicine is practiced and and is analyzed. And I think that actually just recently, OIG came out with an opinion that says that they're hoping to actually uh, not make the Stark Law so harsh because they're, they're realizing that the traditional fee-for-service models isn't the way that physicians are practicing anymore. And so they want to change Stark to allow for more value-based, which means really changing some of the exceptions with Stark and, and, and some of the the challenges that go along with Stark. So to go back to this corporate form issue, because we were talking about this earlier, you had mentioned the B Corp, and I'm not familiar with that. Right. And that's actually really interesting in that I'm seeing a lot of my clients ask more and more about, hey, I don't want to come in and hand over the fruits of my research of the fruits of my medical practice to various shareholders who only care about how can we sell this the fastest, do an early exit, make the most money. We're actually seeing people come in who are, you know, they're genuine champions for this cause. They believe in it. You know, we are seeing clients come in who are physicians in the diabetes treatment space, for example, who want to make an impact on treating that condition, not on just making more money. So the B Corp is actually becoming one of those things that we're seeing more and more people discuss and ask about. And it's a unique type of corporation in that it's a, as a public benefit corporation, you can actually sidestep to a degree this requirement that you always make every decision to maximize shareholder value and you only have a fiduciary duty to your shareholders. And you can actually go down this dual path where 
yes, you have your responsibility to your shareholders, but your shareholders are there because they believe in a common mission with you. And so you can make decisions that benefit the public in the form of this common mission without having to be a not-for-profit or a 501c3 or a charity. You can actually be a for-profit in the business of making money, but not just making money. You're now in the business of making money in order to do good in your specific area. And we're seeing that being really appealing to lots of clients in the digital health and health tech space where one of the founders or you know one of the inventors is a physician especially or is a researcher and they have this investment that they've spent years and years of their life developing this technology and don't just want it to be a commodity. I know that's being used in Colorado. What about California? California also has public benefit corporations and we're seeing them spread more and more around the country. So I know a lot of my clients who are from the coast and Colorado are definitely starting to explore this B Corp with a lot more popularity. It certainly is one of the more kind of lesser known paths still, but it's definitely in the mix as opposed to, you know, several years ago before they were available. And the decision was, am I a C Corp to make money and to make it easy for rounds of investment? Am I an LLC or am I an S Corp to deal with the preferential tax treatment. So absolutely, it's an interesting question that goes into the strategy of what do you want your health tech startup to be? And I think that especially when we talk about alignment with universities and health systems who are oftentimes 501c3 organizations, so you have to talk about the inurement issues that go along with when you do a Whatever sort of collaboration you have, whether it's a loose affiliation or a true joint venture, or let's say the the health system or the university acquires it, I think the mission of those entities, it's really helpful to have them align, which is actually somewhat of a good segue into this issue of aligning the startup with a health system in a university, because it seems to me that really they're only as good as the data that you can get. So someone comes in with a great idea. They figure out the algorithm. They have tech people that do all the work. But then if there's no data, it's useless. And so there really it needs to be strong alignments with entities that have the data. Right. And I think that's one of the big themes we see in the transactions that we deal with, right, is at the end of the day, a health tech application or a digital health application that is the foundation of a startup or even a larger established company or a larger established um, health network that's moving into this space, they still have to align with the values of the health organization with which they're trying to partner. And at the end of the day, evidence-based medicine is still key. Right. And so you're, you're absolutely right. I couldn't agree more, Emily, that at least in my practice, I see the desire for clinical trials, for clinical validation, both from the startups that need to get that and are hungry to get those partnerships and the desire for validation and validated results from the purchaser or the partner that's looking to work with that startup. You have a large healthcare organization that says, or the large payer organization or the you know, managed benefits organization, you know, the key to working with them is going to be, well, that's nice. I understand what you're telling me your app can do, or that's nice. I understand what you tell me your SaaS platform can do for me, or your wearable is going to measure these results from my patients and give me this type of data. How do I know that's real? But where's my evidence on which to base that decision? If I'm going to start using this in my practice, 
it needs to be at least of the same standard as the rest of my evidence-based medicine. I've, I read journals. I read studies. I know what the results are from clinical trials. I have the evidence for everything else I do with my patients. So you need to meet that same standard. Especially because a lot of payers won't pay for outcomes unless they are validated. Exactly. So it's just one huge circle that goes round and round. And I found that even though, and of course, my focus is really more on the hospital health system university side, there's a lot of benefit to collaborating with payers. They have huge amounts of data. I was at the American Health Lawyers Association annual conference and speaking about enterprise data warehouses. And I was shocked with how many payers were in my session because that's a huge shift because payers want data to figure out the best way to manage they're beneficiaries of their programs. Absolutely. I think that is one point that's worth noting that I, we've seen as a trend over the last couple of years and especially accelerating within the last year or so is this notion that data is currency. A lot of the clients I work with that want to do clinical trials, that want to do pilot programs, and I negotiate those on their behalf with the various health organizations or the payer organizations, the large value is not necessarily the small nominal amount of money that the healthcare organization will pay to invest or the payer will pay to invest in order to somehow kind of compensate the digital health or health tech company, the value is the partnership in getting access to that data. The data is better currency than whatever the nominal payment is. Payment is, absolutely. So then how have you found that these startups have dealt with the IP issues of who's owning the data? Because the way I see this is oftentimes the hospital, the health system, or the school, let's just stay in that realm, they're not going to give up any ownership of their medical records. Right. For both state law and other business reasons, they need to maintain ownership of the medical records. But then there's this outcome data. And so what I found in many of the transactions that you and I have worked on together is how do you value the hard data, the X's and O's versus the intellectual manpower that went into creating something because you cannot have one without the other. Right. And that's always, I find, one of the trickiest and most kind of uh, contentious and also one of the meatiest portions of the negotiations in these deals. Because that data, as I said, is absolutely currency. And it's not just currency today. You know, for a lot of these health tech organizations um, and the health tech startups, that data has immense value in different ways. You know, for the health organization, as you said, it's their patient data. Apart from HIPAA issues and things like that on them having to own it, it also has tremendous value for helping spot trends and treatment patterns and who their demographics are and all of that type of thing. And, you know, submitting to Medicare for proof of who they're treating if they're a kind of Medicare organization. But for the startup, that also has tremendous amounts of value, not just today, but potentially in the future. You know, a startup that is providing a SaaS-based model on which its basis is it has some type of data that is mined to deliver a predictive result back, whether that be a treatment modality, whether that be some type of personalized medicine, but it's data-based and its secret source is the algorithm that it has created to apply to that data. And obviously, that algorithm becomes more valuable as it's A, validated on more data, and B, as it has a much richer mine 
for which it can kind of plunder that data. So the bigger the database gets, the better it gets. So that's always a large part. And I, uh, to go back to your original question of how we have dealt with that in different deals, I think there's a whole kind of menu of how that can be dealt with. But I would say my kind of position where that seems the most reasonable to me and has taken prominence in most of the negotiations is that there are ways to pass it out and there are ways to deal with both of those competing interests. The health tech uh, entrepreneur doesn't necessarily need any of the personal aspects of that information. So you can avoid the PHI aspect by making sure it's aggregate. The ownership issue of what happens with that aggregated data, again, it's much more valuable for the health tech entrepreneur to have the ownership rights to aggregate data than it is for a lot of the health organizations because they just want to be able to use it. So, you know, an, an ownership structure where the health tech entrepreneur owns the data in the aggregate, the identified form that results from the use of their platform or of their device. But the health organization owns all the PHI, a non-aggregate form, and has a perpetual, irrevocable, absolute license to pretty much do whatever they want with that data for their internal purposes, usually will meet the needs of both sides. And it's really definitely kind of a case-by-case basis where I think what you need to do is look at, okay, from a product roadmap standpoint from a health tech entrepreneur, what do you need? And from the healthcare organization aspect, what do you need? And actually tailor a compromise between that. And you can usually do that. But I think there is a knee-jerk response that the industry is still dealing with where everybody just thinks data belongs to me. Right. And that's the, that's the immediate response. It doesn't matter whether, whatever I need by data ownership. But it belongs mine. to me. The one issue that I've tried to work with my clients is understanding that data can live in multiple places and be owned by multiple entities. And for example, let's say you have a a blood pressure reading. It can live in the medical record and be owned by the hospital. But because it's singularly a blood pressure reading and not associated with any protected health information, it can also live in the aggregated form in the data set and be owned by the startup. And that is a concept that I think if individuals and companies and hospitals can really grasp and get their head around, then I think that will allow entities to move forward much more quickly because I totally agree. I think that the entities really get stuck on the ownership of data and not understanding that it's it can live in multiple places. Right. And I think the key there, right, the key to my mind to both this issue and a lot of the other issues that come up with respect to validation, with respect to you know what type of cooperation this is and how that fits with the long-term plan and aligns with the goals of the healthcare organization or university that you brought up earlier, all of these go back to the same issue. I think everything we've spoken about goes back to the same issue. And it's a term that I'm going to steal from one of the leaders we have in this area in uh, Denver right now, Mike Baselli. I'm going to steal his term. It's called the ecosystem mindset. And I think that's exactly right. Is all of these can be resolved and all of these are resolved by keeping in mind that what's different to me about a lot of the deals and a lot of the clients I work with in this space is they don't exist in isolation. I'm not creating a Facebook that is a nice social media platform that people can use. And then, you know, now we've got advertising that's evolved over time. But when it first launched, it was just an isolated product that was nice for keeping in touch with people. We are dealing with an industry in which every single player 
whether it's a SaaS platform, a wearable, a university doing research, allowing their faculty to get that research out via their tech transaction, tech transfer function, they are all part of a ecosystem and everybody has to be aware of what's happening upstream and downstream and we all have to be kind of collaborating together in this space because none of these developments none of these applications none of this technology is ever going to work in isolation it's a unique model that makes negotiations different than negotiating in say the advertising space because you always have to be bearing in mind well this particular deal has ramifications for you down the line or it's going to fit in with a hundred different moving pieces in the treatment pathway that that doctor is going to be prescribing and it's a very different mindset especially if startups can help clinicians and hospitals and providers of health services understand that they can save money long term because at the end of the day a hospital oftentimes reports to a board who has a bottom line in mind and a CFO who's always worried about decreasing reimbursement rates in increasing admissions. So if they can really understand and help the hospitals and the providers understand what they're doing will save them money, I think that's really powerful. That's a great segue into you know the aim of the podcast and the aim of this series, which is in this ecosystem mindset and the idea that we have unique challenges and unique issues and unique opportunities that come up in this digital health space, especially in these kind of exciting new genesis that we're dealing with right now. And I don't think there's any way we could go through each of those issues and do them justice in one podcast. So I think the idea and the approach here is to get in some more in-depth conversations on each of these topics, whether we are talking specifically about the issues that arise from using a rich database via a SaaS platform and all of the data issues that come up from data warehousing to regulatory restrictions from HIPAA, high tech, all of that entire morass um, that comes when new and fun government agencies like HHS start to play in this field through to some of the unique IP issues that come up where we have doctors working at private practices, at large healthcare organizations, at managed organizations and universities and trying to develop software or develop hardware or develop algorithms outside on their spare time and all of the co-ownership issues. And then just to the general issues that arise with you know, some of the unique issues from things like financing. How do you get financing if you are mission-driven and not profit-driven? You know, What's your value proposition that you're making to potential investors when you want to change the world for the sake of medicine or for the sake of meeting the triple you know, achieving the triple aim as opposed to change the world for the sake of becoming a billionaire so with that said i think we can wrap up today with a promise that over the coming weeks we will handle and discuss and jump into more discreet and specific discussions on some of these unique topics including if anybody who is gracious enough to listen to this podcast has any particular questions or burning areas of interest that they would want to at the very least get kind of a free opinion that's worth the money that would be paid for it then feel free to email myself or emily and suggest any of those topics and we would be happy to jump into the ones where we think we can add any value yeah absolutely so it's e weber with one b at bhfs.com like brownstein hyatt farber shrek.com and i am i o'neill so that's i o n e i ll at bhfs.com also and emily and i 
would love to kind of handle any other specific topics that come up or find somebody who is better qualified, a better speaker and much more charming than either of us to <laughs> handle a topic that we can't. Well, I look forward to it. Thank you, Ian. Well, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Visit www.bhfs.com for more information.